Friends, today what we're going to do is consider what is one of the great dangers of the Christian life. One of the great dangers of the Christian life that you and I as Christians, that we can slip into, that we can fall into what we might call spiritual defeatism. What do I mean by that? That we can look to the apparent declension of cultural Christianity in this country, that we can look to the repeated sinfulness of our own hearts, And that we can become dismayed by that. That we look to the sin that seems to be ever-present and all around us. And that we can lose hope. That we can lose heart. And that we can... We can spiritually despair. Well, this morning we come to what is the concluding section of Jesus' teaching in parables in Mark's Gospel. And as we do so, what I think we have here is really what you could call the prevention, maybe, or even the remedy, the cure for what we're calling spiritual defeatism. Because you see, what what Jesus does in this portion of Scripture is he shows us more of what God is actually doing in this world. He shows us, Jesus, in these parables, something of the nature, something of the dynamic of the kingdom of God. And so I hope that what happens in here this morning is that any vestige or any hint of spiritual despair that we might have, that it vanishes. And today we go out here at the end thoroughly encouraged and encouraged by the Holy Spirit of God. Now, you'll have noticed this. You'll have noticed that what we've got here are two parables, aren't there? There's two parables in the section that we are looking at. So what we're going to do is follow that. We're going to use that as our pattern, if you like. So what we'll do is we'll take the sermon and we'll kind of divide it in the middle and we'll have two sections to it. Okay, so two parables, two sections to the sermon. But before we get into it, what will we do? That's right, let's bow our heads and let's ask God for illumination. Lord, we always are enthused at this point. We know that uh, we come here with, with trepidation because you have promised to act by your word, that the almighty creator, triune God, promising us that he acts through the preaching of his word. So we come here and now to scripture and we do so pleading with you that that be the case. We ask, Lord in heaven, that uh, just now for all of us in here that there would be this special moment where we see not only the wonder of scripture and the wonder of your word, but we see how it relates to our lives, Lord, that you would apply it to us and that you would move us and pray that you might transform us by your word this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, first heading. So two headings. First heading, um, the growth of grace in our heart. The growth of grace in our heart. So if you haven't done so, please turn back 
uh, to Mark chapter 4 and uh, from verse 26. Okay, you remember the parable of the sower. Do you remember that? We, we looked at the parable of the sower just, what was it, just a couple of weeks before Christmas. Do you remember it? The, the farmer, he sows soil. No, he doesn't. He sows seed onto soil. Uh, four different types of soil, the path and the thorns and so forth. Do you remember the parable of the sower? Well, unlike in the parable of the sower, here in this parable, we're looking at the first one, we are not given an explanation of Jesus' words. Do you see that? You see what happens? Mark again tells us after the parable, Jesus takes the disciples aside and explains to them the meaning of the parable. But unlike with the parable of the sower, Mark doesn't record that explanation for you or for me. And all we've got for insight, therefore, is the first line that Jesus says. Like we're thinking, what's this parable about? There's a guy and he's sowing seed. What's it, what does Jesus say in verse 26? This is what the kingdom of God is like. So at least we know that this parable is Jesus explaining something of the nature of the kingdom of God to us. Now, I think because the focus seems to, or the parable seems to be told from the, the viewpoint of the farmer, the guy at the beginning of the parable, that what we're dealing with here is how God works in the life of an individual Christian, an individual. Now just think about that for a moment, would you? pause and think about what it is that we're dealing with this morning. That means that what we're about to look at is what Christ says about how God is at work just now in your life, if you're a Christian. That's quite something, isn't it? Well, think about what Christ says and how God is working in your heart just now, even in here. Okay? So, what do we learn about that? God's work in an individual Christian's life. Let me suggest four things. One, we learn that grace here, grace is mysterious. It's mysterious. Now, we've got a few boys and girls at the back and at the sides here. And I, I, I wonder, boys and girls, if any of you like spiders or not. Okay? There's a few nods of the head, surprisingly. I certainly know that Ellie Rose does not like spiders in any way. And that's a hereditary thing, you know. She's got that from her dad. I'm in no way, shape or form a fan of spiders. But yet, despite that, this week I found myself reading an article about, wait for it, giant spiders. Giant spiders. Now the boys and girls, I don't want them to be freaking out about this at all. It's okay. These giant spiders, they are found only on the ocean floor in the Antarctic or something like that. So they're unlikely to sneak in our house at any stage. But still, you know, giant spiders. Um, now the thing about these giant spiders is that they have bamboozled the scientific community. So even the greatest scientific minds, they cannot explain why in the sort of these extreme conditions, the insects and arachnids, they seem to grow to gigantic proportions. They can't explain it. It's one of those sort of great, you know, one of those great sort of mysteries of nature. Now, isn't that what we're dealing with here? Isn't it? Like, think about it. In this parable that we're dealing with, you've got a farmer. 
and he sows the seed. He stands back to watch it grow. But the mystery of it all, the mystery of the growth of the plant, that's what's emphasized. Look what Jesus says. He, he says, a man scatters seed, it sprouts and it grows, though he hasn't a clue what's going on. Do you see it? Though he does not know how. So there is a mystery that's being underlined. Now, wait, wait, wait. Do you see Jesus' point here? What is he saying? This is what it's like with the kingdom of God. There is mystery to grace. Now, if you're a Christian, you know that to be true, do you not? Mystery to grace. I mean, isn't there a, a mystery even to God's saving grace? Like, ask yourself, like, at LCPC, we've, we've seen conversions in the last couple of years, have we not? Ask yourself, why is it that God has chosen to save those people? Why not brothers and sisters? Why not other people who are perhaps more morally upright? Why has God chosen to save those people? Ask yourself another question, would you, if you're a Christian? Why has God chosen to save you? Why has God chosen to save me? Do you see it? There is a mystery to God's saving grace, isn't there? But wait a minute. There is also a mystery to God's sanctifying grace too. And I think that is the focus of this section of Scripture, isn't it? That you and I as Christians, like this plant, we grow up. And what do we know? We grow up in the Holy Spirit, don't we? And we grow up like the plant and we mature and we know that that comes the means of grace. But I'm asking you, how does that happen? Like, you know, isn't there mystery there? I mean, what are the mechanisms? How does God actually do this? Do you see? This parable here, it is reinforcing for us a sense of wonder in God's grace. There's mystery to it. So there's mystery to grace. There's a second thing that we see in this parable. We also see that grace is unassisted. Now, I'm sure you'd agree with me that this first parable, even if you just scan and look at it, is a pretty short parable, isn't it? It's a short story from our Lord. Yet, despite its length, three times in that very short parable, the lack of involvement of the farmer in the growing process is stressed by Jesus. Isn't that quite remarkable? Three times in that short portion of scripture. Like, we're told that the farmer, he's sleeping. <laughs> he's sleeping. He sleeps and he rises as the plant grows. We're told that. Then whole sort of, he does not know how this plant grows. And then if you would look at verse 28, you'll see it most clearly. I mean, what a, what a statement this is. Think about the spiritual realities here. Verse 28. All by itself. The soil produces corn. Now, do you, I'm asking, do you see the point that Jesus is in here? Like the spiritual work of the kingdom, it is a work of God alone. The spiritual work of the kingdom is a work of God alone. And as a Christian, you see that to be true. I mean, isn't that not the case in your salvation? How was it that you were saved? How did you come to Christ? By grace, you were saved. 
by your works. You know that to be the case, right? But wait, is it not also the case in our sanctification? Now maybe you're going to say, Oh, but Andy, come on a second here. Like we're supposed to, we're supposed to fight for holiness as Christians, you know? We're supposed to be fighting our sin. But I ask you, is it not God who oversees all of that? I mean, is it not God who, who, who equips us for that? Is it not God that, that, that prompts us to that? What does Calvin say? Calvin says that even our industry is a blessing from Almighty God. Even that is God's work. Friends, do you see there's a lesson there for our congregation? What did I say a moment ago? We've seen a few conversions in the last couple of years, haven't we? Isn't that marvelous? And maybe, what's it like for you in your spiritual life just now? Is this a time of fruit, is it? A time of joy, is it? Are you perhaps more hungry for righteousness than you used to be? Are you perhaps a little bit more prayerful than you used to be? Well, wait a minute. Should that mean, therefore, that, that you and I, that we are pleased with ourselves? I mean, should that be a source of spiritual pride for you or for our congregation? Is that how it works? What is it that Jesus is saying here? All by itself. The soil produces corn. The farmer's asleep, man. We all, we owe all the praise to our God. So grace is mysterious. Grace is unassisted. Third thing that we see here is that grace is gradual. Um, I think I've mentioned this from the pulpit before. Um, but it's very common for our school children pretty sure all the boys and girls would probably have done this, to be given a project in the early years of school where they're given seeds to go home and grow. I think cress is usually the one that's chosen. Okay? Most of the boys and girls, if they've not not done it, they will be doing it soon. Okay? Grow cress at home. You you, You can imagine the sort of impatience that that school project brings in a household, you know? Like the kiddies, they come home with the seed and they'll pop it in the soil in front of you and they'll, they'll, they'll put a tiny little bit of water and then they'll look at this and be like, come on, you know? They're wanting immediate returns from this. And of course, even with Chris, it's not like that. It's a process. Teaching kids patience, I presume. Do you see that Jesus uses similar imagery at a point in this parable. What Jesus does in this parable is stress that it's not immediate, that there are stages to growth, that growth is gradual. Now, if you don't believe me, look at it. Look at what he says in verse 28. So we're seeing soil produces corn. Now, how how does it grow, though? First the stalk... You see it? It's stages, isn't it? It's gradual, then the ear. It's kind of gradual, then comes the full grain. Do you see the point? Spiritually speaking, do you see the point? Like, in our conversion to Christ, yes, there is a full receipt of salvation. We come to Christ, we are saved. 
But in our conversion, there is not a full receipt of sanctification. You see that your spiritual life is, is, is one of stages, isn't it? It's a long kind of drawn out process, your Christian life, is it not? But I wonder, do you see what that means for you? It means as a Christian, there will be times, there will be dramatic times, dramatic phases. Won't there? You know that to be the case, that in your Christian life, there's going to be times where the green shoots of praising God appear. Yeah? And then in your Christian experience, there's going to be times, maybe you can remember them, where the the flowers of of God's special presence in your life, they, they, they bloom and they bud. Yes! There's going to be times like that. There's also going to be other times. Aren't there? Times... Where, when for all the world, for you, it is going to seem as though nothing is happening in your life. It's going to seem like the plant is, is not growing at all. Isn't that right? What you must cling to in moments of your life like that is what you're seeing here. What's the truth? It might not look like it. It might be silent. It might not feel like it. But God is still in action. This plant, this plant is still growing. God's work in the grace is gradual. So we see it's mysterious, we see it's unassisted, we see it's gradual. The last of these that we see is that God's grace is perfecting. Perfecting. I think one of the, <laughs> excuse me, uh, most interesting elements are structurally, if you like, of this parable, of these two parables, is that they both end with Jesus dipping into the Old Testament and using Old Testament language. So the parables, he, he speaks of these two parables, and you can see that the imagery, there are about seeds, the imagery is the same. But what's really interesting is that they both end with Old Testament imagery. Now, in the first parable that we're dealing with there, Jesus uses imagery that's taken from, and this, I think, is one of the answers to the boys and girls worksheet. So you're going to have to listen. Jesus uses imagery from the Old Testament book of Joel. From Joel. Now, because of that, a lot of the, the, the commentators at this point, they say, well, hang on, that means that the, the whole theme of this parable is really negative. You know, they say, well, Jesus uses language about harvesting. Therefore, the, the, this parable is about God's coming harvest and sin. You know, God's coming judgment. That's sort of hanging in the air here. Friends, I, do, I don't think that's right at all. See, yes, Jesus is consciously using language from Joel about harvest. Do you see what he's doing for you with his parable? With the harvest language? He's pointing you forward. Do you see that? This morning, he's pointing you in this parable, he's pointing you forward. Like he's saying here, God is changing you. Like God is working in you. And what is he saying? He's saying, one day, see that work, that great work of God in your heart? It shall be complete. 
Isn't that something? It's going to be complete. You see, the sin that you've been thinking about and, 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 and wrestling with in the last couple of weeks, that sin of your heart, one day that's going to be gone. <laughs> like one day the vestiges, the remnants of any wickedness in your heart, that's going to disappear. It's going to entirely vanish. And listen to this. One day as a Christian, you will stand in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're going to be perfect. You're going to be dressed entirely in holiness. And I'm asking you this morning, does that picture, that reality from Scripture, does that not encourage your heart as a Christian? See, I firmly believe this morning that the start of this sermon was true. (laughs) I do, I believe that sin can lead you and me to despair. Can't it? Like there seems to be patterns of sinfulness in our lives that we simply cannot seem to shake and move. And I think it leads us to sort of ask, you know, is God working at all? Is he really working? Look at the reality here. Do you know what the reality is? God is working in your heart and he is working now. Do you see what that means? It means over the last number of weeks and over over this number of days, even the last few minutes in here, what's been happening? God has been at work in your life and he's changing you. And what is he doing? He's taking you and he's dragging you forward, changing you all the time, taking you towards a moment where what's he going to do? He's going to place you in the presence of Christ and you shall be forever perfect and holy. And I think that there surely should fill us with some sort of hope. Should perhaps make us rejoice this morning that though we not know how, what does it say? Though we don't know how, all by itself, the soil just now is producing corn. Praise God for that. Okay, a second heading we see. We said that we're splitting into two. The second thing we see here is the growth of grace in our world. <coughs> um, I'm not sure if, if Bob stocks this on the book, uh, the book stall or not, but if not, I'm sure some of you um, are familiar with the book Operation World. Operation World, have you heard of Operation World? We used it even at the house group uh, a couple of weeks ago. Operation World is a book designed really to give Christians a better understanding of where the, the gospel is in the countries of this earth. So I, it's like it's a big, a huge big book with sort of each page devoted to a country and it tells us of the situation of Christianity in each of these countries. Okay, so Operation World. It's really that that we are focusing on as we come into the second parable here. See, in this second parable, we are not so much dealing with the work of God in the individual Christian's life. In the second parable, we are dealing much more with the work of God across the globe. How God is working throughout the world. And and I'm sure you see what what Jesus does to, to teach us about this. Do you see the imagery that he uses? What is it? It's a mustard seed. And he says the mustard seed grows into the, what does he say? Does he say the largest plant in the garden? So we're dealing with God's work across the globe. 
in a multicultural congregation this morning? What do we learn? What does Jesus teach us about this? Well, let, let me suggest firstly that we're shown here the humble beginnings of the kingdom of God. So friends, would you do this with me? Would you look at verse 31? If you look at verse 31 and see how Jesus describes the kingdom of God, what does he say? He says it is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed you plant in the ground. Now, if you're a biblical critic, if you're a liberal scholar, which I'm, well, maybe there are some in here, I'm not sure. I don't know if Dan falls into that category or not. Let's say no. Um, but if you are, maybe you ask, well, hang on, is that accurate or not? Like, is the mustard seed the smallest seed that you can actually plant in the ground? Now, of course, if you're asking that, you're entirely missing the point, aren't you? What we have to work out and see is that this there was a common proverbial saying in the ancient world. So this mustard seed, it was so tiny, it was just so small that people would use it regularly as a metaphor for for that which was minuscule and absolutely tiny. And what is Jesus saying here? He's saying that's what the kingdom of God is like. I mean, such were, such were the humble beginnings of the kingdom of God that it was like a mustard seed. Now, wait a minute, is that right? Is it? Oh, yeah, it was, isn't it? I mean, th- think about it. The Christ had come into the world. This long-awaited Savior had come into the world. Where was the fanfare? Like, where were the worldwide celebrations? Like, was this Christ born in a castle? Was he born in a palace? What's the reality here? What do you tell me? He's born in dirt. The Christ born in squalor. And then, wait a minute, what about his message, the message of the kingdom of God? How was it at first received? Christ comes with his message. Was it greeted with initial enthusiasm? Did everyone who heard it, first of all, did they embrace the message of the kingdom of God? What is it you say? It was a stumbling block for Jews. It was foolishness to Greeks. And what about the messengers of the gospel? The first messengers. I mean, this is the kingdom of God. Surely, surely the messengers were kings. The messengers were princes, weren't they? What is it you say? They were just ordinary guys without a qualification between them. Think of Jesus. Would you, would you think of Jesus in this very chapter? Here's a man in a small wooden fishing boat. And what is he doing? He's speaking to Galilean peasants and he's speaking in stories about Doesn't it seem to be so mundane? Doesn't it almost seem to be to be dull? And yet, this is the kingdom of God. I mean, where was the fanfare? Where were the festivities? Do you see what incredibly humble origins? What do we learn? I think we learn not to despise Christian work just because it might arrive without a fanfare. Like, denominationally, 
Do we just support a church work or a church plant if they can muster loads of cash and loads of support to start with? Is that when we kick in with our prayerful support? Congregationally? Do we only support a church endeavor if loads of people are first behind it and all those people have proved themselves? No. What are we seeing about the kingdom of God? The greatest work has come from the smallest beginnings. Such was the kingdom. We see its humble beginnings. But we also see here the staggering, staggering growth of the kingdom of God. Now, in the very south of Italy, round about where the laces are on the boot in a place called Tropia, uh, you have... What you find when you go there are an abundance of what are called umbrella pines. Okay, umbrella pines. Another answer for the boys and girls. Now these things are, I've never seen anything like these trees, you know. They are massive. But I guess what staggers you the most when you see them is the sort of foliage on them. You know, the leaves, the foliage, they're so thick. You know, it's the, 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 the leaves, the foliage, so intense that, that, Hardly any sort of sunlight, hardly any rain sort of permeates these trees and gets to the ground. Incredible shade that these things provide, okay? Now, is that sort of grand image we should have in our minds when we see what Jesus said here? He speaks of this mustard seed growing into the largest of all plants. And I'm saying here this morning... Is that not the most fitting image for the church of Jesus Christ, for the kingdom of God? I mean, what has started off as something small has blossomed into something now of worldwide and global significance, hasn't it? I mean, would you do this with me? Would you think about what's happened in the kingdom of God? The seed has been taken in the death of Jesus Christ and placed into the ground. What happened? The tree came up again, didn't it? And 3,000 leaves were added to that plant at Pentecost, weren't they? And then another 5,000 leaves. Isn't that the case? Then what happens? The foliage, it grows, the plant grows as the early church witnesses to the gospel. And this tree, it grows and it increases right through the Roman Empire to the bounds of the known world. And, and do you see it just now? Do you see the scale of this plant, this tree? It is colossal. This earth covering, this God-glorifying plant. And I think that there takes us to the problem we have, to the core of our spiritual defeatism. defeatism, Because isn't it the case that we have lost sight of the plant? I mean, isn't one of Satan's great deceptions to blind us to the worldwide glory of the church of Jesus? Do you see what happens because of our sin? We focus on what is in front of our eyes. You and I focus on the church in the UK. You know, we see these churches that are declining, moving away from biblical... And we ask, wait a minute, is God really working? Is God's plan really so great? Friends, do you see it? God is working. And his plan really is so great. 
We have to refocus on the global dimensions of the church. And we have to focus on this reality. You ready for it? See the plant? Do you see it? It is still growing. Millions and millions and millions of people every year hearing for the first time that they can be saved from their sin. And multitudes of those people bowing the knee to Christ, embracing him as their savior. Do you see it? This plan is large. It is as massive as it is miraculous. The tiny seed has grown into the largest plant, such as the kingdom of God. And I'll just end with this. I'll end with the final consummation of the kingdom of God. See, what did I say a moment ago? I said that both parables end with Old Testament language. Didn't I? Old Testament language. Well, here what happens is Jesus dips into Daniel and he dips into Ezekiel where, ready for this, trees represented the greatest empires on earth. And the birds, they represented nations that rested in those trees. So do you see what Jesus is doing? What is he doing for you? Same as before. He's saying to you this morning, look ahead. Look forward as a Christian. Look to the time where the birds will be in the trees. Look forward to the time where not just Israel, but people from every nation under the sun, that they will come into this great plant for rest and for shelter. And I I honestly think that that is the cure, isn't it? For any despair that you might have as a Christian this morning or any defeatism that we might have. We, by the Holy Spirit, we look ahead to what God is doing. What is he doing? He's not just changing you. He's changing the world. That's what God is doing. Do you see that? He's taken all of those millions of people. He has saved them by his Son. He is taking them into his kingdom. And one day that kingdom shall be complete. The birds of the air, they will perch in the branches of this tree. Do you see it? People from all nations. You're here today. One day everyone, all Christians, coming together to be part of the kingdom of God. What do we do in light of that this morning just now? I'll tell you what we do. Surely given this plan, you and I, we bow before our God and we worship him. Isn't that it? I mean, he, he has a plan. A plan to grow his kingdom and nothing and no one is going to stop him doing that. He's a plan to grow his kingdom. And here's the, here's the, the glorious thing about it, isn't it? That by grace, you and me in Christ Jesus, now, today, and for evermore what's going to happen he's building his kingdom and we shall rest beneath its shade